0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. Well, we are starting a new series today, and uh, I've been wanting to just do a book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to do this book of the Bible that's behind me. We're going to do the book of James. And uh, it's a great book of the Bible. I personally love James because he's just so practical. And uh, he is uh, Action Jackson. You know, he is action orientated. Uh, he, wants to, he wants to go. And, uh, and so I, 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 I love the way that he writes this letter. And uh, James, uh, for those of you that don't know, I really feel for this guy, James, poor James. Poor little James, because uh, James, for those of you that might not be aware, was the younger brother of Jesus, the younger brother of Jesus. And um, if you have ever had any kind of sibling rivalry, can you imagine if your brother was actually Jesus? Like, I don't know where to go from there, or 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 how you fix that as 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 an issue you know, uh, he he actually was perfect, like, what do you do with that, you know, and I, I imagine that every time Mary would come in, and, and she would, you know, walk in, and, and find, a, you know, a, a big mess, a big old mess, you know, when they were playing with toys, and stuff like that, and and James would get up, and he'd say, Jesus did it, you know, and and Mary would look at Jesus, and she'd be like, Jesus, is that true, he's like, I didn't do it, and she says, I believe him, and James would be like, i you always take his side. You always believe him. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to explain it to you when you're a little bit older, why I always believe your older brother over you, you know. And, and, but I feel sorry for James because that's a, that's a big kind of thing to, to live up to. You know, later on in life, um, Jesus, you know, he, he you know, came out and told everybody that he was the Messiah, you know. And can you imagine being James? Growing up with this guy all of your life, and then, um, you know, your older brother comes out and says, "Uh, I'm the Messiah. And you're like, bro, you are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. Okay, so I'm having a little trouble coming up with when you've done stuff wrong in your life. I don't care, you're not the Messiah. He's like, it's me, I'm the Christ. And it's like, you are, you are so not the Christ. I cannot believe that you would even say that about yourself. You know, if the Pharisees hear you speaking like this, you're going to be in so much trouble. Don't let mom catch you. He's like, mom already knows. She's like, she does not believe this either. You know? so, so as you can imagine, like, for James, kind of hard growing up. And uh, we know actually that James, that James, he really didn't even believe Jesus all the way through his life. In fact, he needed a whole heap of convincing. So, um, Jesus begins his ministry, and he's gathering these disciples to himself, and James must have thought, honestly, that Jesus has flipped his lid, because he's thinking, I don't understand. First of all, I don't believe you, and I don't understand why these 12, uh, 5,000, uh, 12,000, I don't understand why all these people are gathering to my brother's ministry. He, he's eccentric, but he's, but he's not the Christ. So, after Jesus died on the cross, which would have been horrific, you know, he's probably felt like, you know, this guy, he died for this crazy thing that he kept telling people he was. And then after he died, the Bible says in Corinthians that Jesus came first to James and then he came to the 12. And so we know that he visited Jesus, uh, he visited James between his death and his resurrection. And it was at that very point that James decided. I reckon he's the Messiah, so so as, as you would. So so he believes him, and then James is what we might consider to be a little bit of a late bloomer. But he became uh, to be someone that was very significant in the church. In fact, uh, they had a, like a nickname for him. They called him James the Just, and the reason they called him James the Just is because after he got going, he was so passionate about the church. He was so passionate about his half brother's sacrifice that uh, he was fully committed to it. So he would spend hours and hours in prayer. And they used to say that, you know, historians, people that would write about James, would say that James spent so many hours in prayer in the temple on his knees, they said that his knees were actually like, like that of a camel. That's how they described his knees. Because he's sp- for the hours and hours that he spent just praying. And, uh, and, and so they called him James the just James because mainly because of all of his righteousness and so James became the uh, leader of the church in Jerusalem and uh, and he had a significant impact and he wrote this book that we're going to read today called James the book of James and James is the oldest New Testament book so it was written before all of the other New Testament books so you know if you If you know the Bible and you open the New Testament and you go to the first book, Matthew was not the first one that wrote. That's not why his gospel, why it begins there with the book of Matthew. It's not listed chronologically in terms of the date that they were written. But actually, James was the first person to write. And so his writing was not influenced by any other writing. This was just straight from the heart of James, who spent the most time with Jesus, more time than anyone else. And in this, he's so action-orientated, as I say, that he would say, I think there's about 54 times where he says, do this, action this. You gotta do, you know, behave in this way. Come on, do it. You know, he's just so... Keen to get people moving and for the church to begin to arise and do what it's supposed to do. And so I want to read to you a scripture today. It comes out of James chapter 1. We're going to begin in James chapter 1 today. And, uh, and we're going to go through this series. We're going to do this for about five weeks, okay? So it's going to be a great... There might be a sixth week in there. I think there is. So, so, all right, I'm going to begin in James chapter 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ... Well, that's humbling, isn't it? Because that was his brother. So he's now saying, I am the servant of my half-brother that I now see to be the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Christ meaning Messiah, meaning Holy One, Anointed One. So he's saying, yep, I'm fully in. I really believe this now. He probably could have written so much more. I am James, the servant of God, the half-brother of the Lord, the, from, from the womb of Mary that also gave birth to the Messiah. He doesn't say anything like that, does he? He, he, he simply says, I am the servant of God and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then writes this letter to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Now, If you don't know who the dispersion are, right, just to give you a little bit of a history lesson, way back in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire came through. Northern Israel displaced the 10 tribes, and so there were Jewish people living everywhere, and that's why the Jewish nation was scattered all over the Mediterranean. You could find them in every city, and then later on in 568 BC, the Babylonians came through and they took care of the last remaining uh, uh, Jewish uh, tribes. And so they were able to disperse some of them too before they came back. And obviously where uh, a lot of what happens in the Bible centers around Jerusalem. But this is why the Jews are scattered you know, everywhere. And the dispersion, okay, so they were Jewish people. But then, like, if you think about the Christian dispersion, the, the Christian uh, 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 you know, part of that group, they were among the most marginalized people on the planet because the Jewish people in their towns and cities completely rejected them. They were constantly dragged into court and taken. They had their possessions frequently just taken from them, and they were mistreated horribly. It was, it, it was terrible. In fact, historians would say that they had less rights than slaves. So slaves had more rights than the Jewish uh, uh, Christian dispersion. And so the reason why I tell you that is because when I begin to talk about trials, then you start to contextualize it for yourself and think about the things maybe that you're going through. I want you to understand the dire circumstances that these people were going through and the context in which this letter has been written. So it says to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Verse two, count it all joy. Joy. My brothers, when you... Meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want to preach a message to you today called, Go and Woe. Go and Woe. You know, my story um, is probably a pretty typical story, I guess. You know, I grew up a, as a Christian going to church when I was young, but then, you know, around about the time I became a teenager for my own reasons, uh, I, I decided to leave church, walk in the other direction. I really didn't want anything to do with God. In fact, my, my, my thinking was so mixed up that my whole idea was I wanted to get back at God because I had gone through my own trial and I felt like God had left me in the middle of it. And because he left me and he could have helped me and he didn't help me, I decided that I would punish him. And, and how would I do that? Well, you know, I didn't know anything that he cared about except me. So I thought, well, if I, you know, wreck my own life, that will hurt God. Now, all right, so I didn't think it through. So it wasn't the greatest idea. You know, full disclaimer, I was 12 years old at the time, and, and, and that was when the process began, and it took me right through my teenage years. And, and so, you know, eventually I came back to God, but, but out of that hurt, out of that, bitterness, out of that brokenness, out of that frustration, out of that question in my heart about where God is, and why God would leave me here, and why He would just um, abandon me in my circumstances, and why He would not answer my prayer, and why He would not heal my body, and why He would not help me when my time of need. Because of all of those situations, right, it caused this offense in me, and, and that's why I left, and that's my story, but i I. I've feel pretty confident today that if I was to go and ask you and sit down with you, you have your own story. I don't think mine's that unusual. I think that everyone has their own story about a time in your life where you felt like, where was God, you know, and maybe you handled it better than me, but maybe some of you, some of you didn't, you know, you didn't handle it. You handled it kind of like I did, you know, which is to end up getting frustrated and disappointed and upset with God. And, you know, everyone has a story, Everyone does. Everyone's got their own unique set of circumstances that has shaped them. And I want to do something with you this morning, if I can do it. Um, I want you to close your eyes for a minute, just for a minute, just really quickly. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to do this. I want you to think right now of the toughest trial of your life, of the most difficult circumstances that you've had to go through. I want you to imagine right now, maybe the most difficult circumstances you have gone through, but maybe they're things that you are presently going through. It is a, a tough thing. It has shaped your life. It has been difficult for you. It could be a relationship. It could be something to do with your finances. It could just be something to do with your relationship with God. But I want you to get that thing in your, your mind for just a minute. Have you got it? Just hands up if you got it. All right. You can open your eyes again. So James comes along, and he wants you to reframe your trial. He wants you to reframe that thing that was in your mind just then, and he wants you to count it all as joy. You kidding me? I think James has flipped his lid. What's wrong with you, James? Did you wake up? and He must have had a a hard drink before he wrote this letter. Because what kind of person would would say to people in their most difficult trial and the tests that they're going through that they should count it as joy. Unless you're a glutton for punishment, why, why write anything like that, you know? If you're here today and you haven't even faced the trial, you probably belong in the kids, man. So that started a little while ago. You can make your way out right now. You're probably under three. You should be because I don't know anyone that's made it all the way to adulthood, without going through some kind of hard circumstance, without going through some kind of difficult trial, something that they've had to really work through. And James, when he writes this letter, do you notice how he begins it? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials. So he's not really saying that if you go through trials, hey, if something tough comes up in life, you should count it as joy. When? So it's coming, and for many of you, you might say, it's already here, but maybe there's another season after this one that is to come, and my prayer for you is that it's not, but I've been around long enough to know that life will throw difficult things at you when you least expect it, and James says, I want you to, I want you to count those things as joy, as joy, You know, I think one of the reasons why James says canna is joy is because trials produce testing grounds, and testing grounds have a purpose. Trials produce testing grounds, and testing grounds, they have a purpose. you think about it. Think about it for a minute. have you read the, the Temptation of Jesus? Have you read that, that scripture? Yeah. You know what happened there in that, in that story? Let me, let me read a little bit of this to you just so you, uh, you understand what I'm talking about. The testing ground that has a purpose. Luke chapter 4. You won't have it on screen. I just wanted you to listen to this. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Is it interesting to anyone else that Jesus, when He was full of the Holy Spirit, when He heard Him really clearly, that that same Spirit was the Spirit that led Him into the place of a testing ground? Do you see that? He led Him there. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't like Jesus. No, that's not true. That's bad theology. It says for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. It's interesting in the testing ground, he went out to fast and in the middle of that fasting place along comes the tempter to take advantage of him. And so the devil comes to him and he says to him, come on, you know, he says to him a number of times, he tries to tempt him in specific areas. Jesus is fasting at the time. So he says, why don't you just have something to eat? Why don't you just, uh, you know, eat something and turn these stones into bread? And Jesus answers him. He says, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And he says, oh, hang, hang on. Why don't you bow down and worship me? I'll give you all these. I'll give you everything that you can see. And, you know, just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that, right? Right. And he says, all right, well, I've got an idea. Why don't you throw yourself off of this, you know, uh, mountain or off of this pinnacle and, and you, you throw yourself down and the angels will save you. And, it, and it's really interesting, like the devil tries to really get in there and he's trying to use faith against Jesus because the first time he says, hey, if you really are the son of God, and what he's hoping Jesus will do is say, I am, let me prove it. I'll make those stones bread. And, and, and he says, I've got nothing to prove to you. My identity is found in Christ. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't care. Who, who, who you are, devil, you know, yeah. you, you don't, you're not going to make me do a thing, you know, and, and, and he gives him these different tests, you know, and, and even at the end, when he says to him, throw yourself down, you know, he says, come on, come on, how, how much do you really believe the scriptures? Don't you know it says that, 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 that the angels will catch you, you know, And if you really believe, if you really believe, then you'll, you'll jump off and the angels will catch you if you got, oh, if you got the faith for it, Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not buying into this. I'm not doing it, right? And so he answers him again and again and again. It says that when the devil had ended, every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time. Because I find that oftentimes temptation comes in waves and it comes in seasons. And it says immediately after that in verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, And Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So there he is not eating going through that testing ground and the way that he returns is that he returns in the power of the Spirit. It's almost like Jesus just wanted to teach the devil another lesson. Let me show you how I can beat you when I'm hungry and I'm tired and I don't care what you've got to offer me. I'm not going to buy into it for a minute. And because he passed the test and made it through the temptation, he ended up returning in the power of the Spirit. Spirit. And it made me start to think that, you know, sometimes when we're going through tough stuff, and you think that that stuff is going to break you, you don't understand that God put you in a testing place, so it would make you. Yeah, come on, it's good. So it would make you. Your trial... It's not there to break you. It's there to make you. It's there for God to take you a little bit deeper. It's there... For God to make you just that little bit stronger. It's there for you to get a little bit tougher on the inside in a way that you couldn't have got if God had, if you had been part of the Bless Me Club. You know, bless me, bless me, bless me, you know, it's always blessing. You know, you didn't have to learn a thing through life because all you did was just blissfully unaware, it's just blessing all the time, right? Well, I don't know anybody that lives like that. But you know, I kind of get the feeling, I get the impression. I get a good impression, because it's in Scripture, that God is actually interested in raising an army of believers that, are, that, that have been forged through the battle of testing grounds and seasons so that when the tough stuff really comes, they're battle-ready, they're battle-hardened, and they're ready to take on the next territory that God has prepared to give to them. Are you with me this morning? So Jesus Jesus could have entered the temptation... He could have entered the testing anytime he wanted. All he had to do was have, have a loaf of bread. You no? Know? Have a sandwich, Jesus, and end your testing season. Wouldn't that be pretty good if you could end your testing season by having a sandwich? You know? That's a nice way to end it. You know? But Jesus didn't do that. He, he didn't have the sandwich. He didn't eat anything. He could have left the desert. But you know something about Jesus. He saw purpose in perseverance. He saw purpose behind the test and what he was doing. And I'm so glad that he developed this mentality early on in his ministry because you and I became great recipients of this perseverance later on in life when he was actually on trial for his life and they came to him and they said to him you know what we can end this trial right here and they they gave him so many ways out and he said I'm going to the cross because he looked down and he saw something worth persevering for he saw billions and billions of people that were worth persevering for. So his endurance was there because he found something worth sinking his life and his future into. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, you should have it on screen. It says, let us run with endurance the race. There's a good lesson for us today. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, Who for the what? For the what? For the joy that was set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't love it, but he is now seated at the right hand of God. For the joy that was set before him. He endured that cross. He saw purpose in perseverance. He found something. He found joy in the middle of his trial that gave him some purpose, that gave him some strength to endure what he had to. And what happened at the end of it? He was raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father. It almost appears to be that when you go through a season of testing, there's some kind of promotion at the end of it. It's like when you go through the hard stuff, it's like you have gone up another level because you made it through this. And so God is ready to take you now here because you are willing to go through this. Are you you catching what I'm what I'm saying today? You need to know that trials and testing, that these things are faith-defining moments. They're faith-defining moments. And if you handle them right, by the way, handling them right means that you don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Sorry, I got like one. I got one that's right. Don't quit. You got all right. You you're better. I'll try this side. Don't quit. Come on. If you handle it right, and if you don't quit, your trial becomes an opportunity. And as I look back over situation and circumstance and scripture, I see continually trials where people persevere and they turned what was negative into something that was positive. It became an opportunity. And you'll notice that Satan did everything he could to end the perseverance. Jesus, eat the bread, have a sandwich relax, throw yourself off the building, worship me, do anything. I, just don't finish your testing season. Please, please, Jesus, don't finish your testing season. Let's end your testing season early. Isn't it interesting that, Jesus, that sorry, that Satan's the one that wants to end your testing season early? You know, I I would think that it would be the That It would be God that would want to end my testing season early, but it's not. Because the devil has a vested interest in you not becoming who God has created you to be. Listen to this. Not all pressure is punishment. Not all pressure is punishment. What did God say to Abraham? Or Abram at the time. He said, I want you to pack up your family and go to the land that I We'll show you. So pack up first. Start walking. Which way? I'll show you. Well, I want you to know, God, I'm taking a whole lot of risks here with my family because, uh, you know, we got it good here. You want me to pack up? You won't even tell me north, south, east or west. You're like, just start walking. Well, how do I know if I'm going the right way? You'll know. Jesus, I mean, God, give it. Help me out here, you know. No, no, just go to the land that I will show you. And then when he gets there, what does he say? He says, I'll make you the father of a multitude of people. And he goes through this season of trial and, and hardship. Finally, he has the son, Isaac. And then God says, now I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to take him up the top of the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him on the top. You want to talk about a test? You want to talk about trusting God in your testing season? But God, don't know if you noticed, but this is the answer to the promise. And God says, sacrifice it. You know, the the scriptures and theologians say that Abram was so willing to kill his only son, which was Isaac, Which, by the way, for those of you that are not quite sure, is a metaphor for what Jesus would do later on—that he would be willing to kill his only son because he believed that God was able to bring him back from the dead. That was the degree to which Abraham trusted God. I'm telling you, there are times of testings, there are times of seasons, and at times and seasons where you'll be tested. Why? Because the pressure—it has a purpose. God's trying to do something with your future. And James says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When was the last time you used that in a sentence? Never. Hey, that was really steadfast. Well done. <laughs> you didn't say that. What about toughness? I don't even think that's a word. It doesn't matter. It's my sermon. Toughness. What about grit? it gives you grit it makes you strong it does something on the inside of you that might not have necessarily been accomplished in the blessing season you know when i go down to the gym which has been you know a long time ago i'll be honest right but but when it happens when it happens if only i could walk around and look at the equipment ooh and get a muscle from that wouldn't that be good if only I could just peruse the treadmills, and suddenly the fat has fallen off, you know? I can look at it, right? I can see it as a, a, at a distance. I can look at the bench press. I can look at the barbell, but you know what? It's not till I'm under pressure that I start to develop my muscles because I can't get it from looking at it from the outside in. I have to be able to work it from the inside out. And I'm, when I'm under pressure, and how many of us would know? You know, the more weight that's added, the stronger I get. And I feel like sometimes what people are saying is, God, let me out early. He says, I'm making you stronger. I'm making you stronger. I could let you out early. I could end the testing season, but you don't know what I've got for you next. So if you can't get through this, you're never going to handle that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll take your baby steps. We're going to start with like five kilos and the barbell, right? And we're just going to start to, we're going to, start to work through that. We get a little, little bit stronger. We're going to add some more weights to it. And before you know it, you are getting spiritually strong, spiritually mature on the inside because God has put you under pressure and that pressure had a purpose and it was developing something in you that you weren't going to get through your blessing. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying to you today? This is the full effect that James talks about. He says, let it have its full effect. Well, the half effect would be if you got out early. The half effect would be if you had the sandwich and ended the testing. That's the half effect. He says, no, 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 go with it. Let it have its full effect. And then he says this thing, being made perfect. That being made perfect is your character being fully developed. That's what that means. That is exactly what that means. Your character is being fully developed. You are becoming fully spiritual, spiritually mature so that you can handle the coming seasons and the pressure that's going to come to you. And I think that some of your biggest battles is where you'll end up drawing your greatest strengths. Because for some of you, you grew up and people just put labels on you. They're all the same anyway. Too fat, too skinny. You're dumb. You're not smart enough. You're, I don't know, you look stupid. I don't know, like people say, kids say dumb things. You know what's really sad is when adults grow up still believing the things that young kids said about them. And you gotta grow through that. And you say, and you and and you come to a place where where, where people have been putting labels on you. You'll never have a functional relationship again. You're never gonna get married again. Like that, that first thing was a disaster, and you were a disaster. And you'll never get married again. You'll, you'll never be wealthy. It's never going to happen for you. It's not, you know, you, 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 you're not smart enough to make money. That's a crazy thing that people sometimes believe, you know. I, I mean, there's all kinds of things that people can say about you, and you believe it. But there is just different thought that comes from people that are spiritually mature that says, I am not who you say I am. I am who he says I am. And I am nothing more and I am nothing less. And if everyone else rejected me, he accepted me. So I don't really care. And I can deal with it. You become like Teflon. That stuff will just slip right off you. Because you won't wear it anymore. It's got nowhere to stick. You know who you are. You know what God says about you. Some of you just, you know, you wear labels. Some of you... The testing ground, the thing that's been difficult, your greatest battle right now, is for a loved one that's just far from God. You know, it might be your children, or your husband, someone, your father, your mother, someone that's far from 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 God, and you're like, God, can't can't you just do something? Like, just show up and just just illuminate their mind to the place where they know who you are. I know you can do it, you know? like, And, and, and all this time, what like, what's happening, right? It's driving you deeper into a relationship with God to the place where you start to, come on, have you ever been so hungry that you got on your knees for about something with God and said, I'm not moving until I get some breakthrough. I'm not quitting until I get through this, right? Like it drives you to your knees where you say, this is it. I'm here. I'm believing. I'm never going to give up. I'm not going to stop praying, right? It's developing something within you, some spiritual stamina that you wouldn't get if you just wandered blissfully through life. Some of you have got financial needs, you know, and you've been trying to figure out, God, where are you in the middle of all of my financial needs? And maybe I don't know, like maybe God's trying to teach you something about the principle of tithing or giving or trusting or something in this, but I'm telling you every season has its purpose when it comes to testing. Every season. Whether you see it or whether you don't, it doesn't matter. It's there for a reason. The trial that you thought was meant to break you was the one designed to make you. The devil would end your tempting or your testing. As quick as he could. As quick as he could. Just come on, eat the bread, Jesus. Eat the sandwich. Have a sandwich. And and, and end all this testing business, just please, Jesus, don't make it through the test to the place where you return in power because the kingdom of hell, we don't need that. Just end that season early. Can I show you the difference between tempting and testing? James says this in James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. He says this, but each person is tempted... When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. You are tempted most by what's going on inside of you. It's the very place that God is trying to fix in the testing, by the way. Yeah? You are tempted when something on the outside appeals to what's on the inside. The area that you're struggling with right now, if you're tempted in an area right now, it's because there's something that's on the inside of you, something that's broken. James just called it wrong desires. There is a wrong desire that's on the inside of you. And when the stuff that's on the outside is so appealing, it's appealing to the wrong desire that's on the inside. Why do you think God's so focused on the testing to fix what's inside so that when the tempting comes there's nothing on the inside that it appeals to it's nothing's going to stick you're not going to go after it you know um at the start of this year sarah sweetheart i'm just going to tell him i'm going to tell him the truth Sarah went full vegan, <laughs> I'm sorry, she went full vegan, and uh, there was a flow-on effect in our household, and uh, it has now meant that a lot of my meals are full vegan, and so now that's the way I eat, and I, and I, I wanted to embrace this, you know? And, and, and I started to, and I actually even had some vegan meals, and so um, I remember one day when I was out at lunch with, with Zach Hooper, and I said to him, this is a great vegan meal, and I tried to tempt him with it, right? But he was not tempted. <laughs> not even a little bit. He was not tempted. He didn't want one bite of my vegan meal. You know why? There was nothing on the inside of him that was tempted by what was on the outside. He said, it's not for me. You know, like, it's not for me. He wasn't tempted. He didn't want it. Wouldn't it be great if when the devil came to tempt you, if you just didn't want it? You didn't want it. So it wasn't a battle because you just really don't want it. I call that victory. See, the the battle in the testing grounds has a purpose for your future. And if you learn to persevere, it gives you an inner victory that you wouldn't have so that when the devil comes to tempt you, there's nothing there for him the tempt see Satan would tempt you in an area that you're weak but God would test you in a place where you can persevere and that is the difference between the devil's temptations and the God's tempting places or God's testing grounds he'll tempt the devil will tempt you in an area that you're weak but God will test you in an area where you can prevail and if you're tempted in any area of your life whoa 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 don't don't go there if you're being tempted in an area that you know is wrong whoa stop like don't go any further did you did you not see what james said about this He said that there is a pathway connected to that choice that leads to death when it's fully grown. Whoa! If you're tempted, whoa, stop, stop, stop. But if you're under trial and you're being tested, well, you go. And you go, and you persevere, and you endure, and you grow. Because there's a purpose in your testing. There's a reason why you're going through all of that stuff. And at the end of it, you'll be spiritually stronger. You'll be bigger on the inside. God will have accomplished on the inside of you what he could not have gotten into you if he had just blessed you all the way. If you're being tested, or you're being tempted, well, if you're being tested, you better go better stick with it. You better persevere. You better run your race with endurance for the joy that would be set before you. There's a purpose in what you're going through right now. I want to pray for you today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church weekly podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com.